My name is Jared, for those of us that are meeting for the first time. And I get to launch a brand new series today, and I'm excited about it, and uh, I think that you're going to find yourself uh, engaged in these stories as well. I have a question to start with, and all of you get to vote, because you're either in one camp or the other camp. First of all, I'm going to ask this. How many of you have watched at least one full episode of the TV show, This Is Us? Yeah. How many of you have not made it through one episode of the TV show, This Is Us? How many of you haven't and you don't care? Oh, you're pathetic, Dan. (laughs) Wildly popular show. It's one family story across a couple of generations and several decades. You know, when we are a part of a community unit, a team, we have four questions. Who are we? What are we doing? How are we doing it? And why does it make a difference? Uh, In our home, we called it the Roth family way. So uh, we would have these little conversations. And sometimes they were intentional. Many times they were spontaneous. In our three-generation family, often sponsored when our kids then uh, growing up in our home encountered other kids whose families did things a different way. And it could be framed as, why can't we do it? They do it. Or they do that. Why don't we do that? And sometimes after the conversation, which we hoped would be value-based, we would say, this is the Roth family way. This is the way Roths do it. Other people have a different way of doing it. And we tried to remove value judgments from that. There's a different way, but the Roth family way is this way. At Evergreen, we are one little tiny slice of a beautiful, robust, diverse body of Christ in western Washington County. But it's important for us to know what our little slice of the pie is, and for us to define that and to focus on it and to prioritize it and to move toward that so that we do our part as well as we can. And so we call it the Evergreen Way. This series called This Is Us is going to be several weeks of actually going back to ancient wisdom 2,000 years ago and the experience of three churches, Jerusalem today, next week Anne will take us to Antioch, and then for a couple of weeks we're going to take a look at the church at Rome. And we're going to discover from that ancient wisdom what we believe the Holy Spirit is freshly saying to us in 2020 so that we can be biblically based and spiritually led. And so here we go, this is us. But before we talk about Evergreen in particular, before we talk about Jerusalem specifically today, I think we probably should acknowledge that the church has been a mixed bag for 2,000 years. On one hand, it has done a lot of good. The church has led the way in health care, human rights, civil rights, education, ethical business, and good government. But you also know that there's a dark side of the story. The church has done horrible harm in 2,000 years. It has started wars, killed, enslaved, oppressed minorities, marginalized women, amassed wealth, abused children. It has used political power to reinforce and enforce religious dogma. Religion has been used to justify the Crusades, extreme nationalism, slavery, racial segregation, misogyny, and patriarchy. It's a mixed bag. And we're just this current generation. 
of that mixed bag. And so we ask the question, so what divides us as Christians today? Well, there was a recent study uh, in the U.S., and it discovered that eight out of 10 of us say that our country is mainly or totally divided. And it's interesting that in international research, Americans are far more divided than our Western nation colleagues, specifically around these 12 issues. And when I mention them, some of you are going to have increased heart rate and some emotion because we feel deeply and passionately and differently about some of these matters. They are wealth inequity, inequality, healthcare, climate change, evolution, gender roles, sex, gun control, mass incarceration, and the death penalty, human rights, and war. We are not going to talk about each of those today. This is why on Saturday night, we scroll through Instagram and Facebook to see what you've been advocating for and, uh, and where and agitating for, uh, because we like to know how you've all been misbehaving during the week, <laughs> because it's our job to convene us together around what unifies us. And this is no mystery, Evergreen. We are a significantly diverse church when it comes to our social and our political opinions. And we have come to those opinions, many of us, through sincere, biblical, humble understanding with open hearts. There is diversity among us in priorities. We share a common faith in Jesus. We share a common basis of truth in Scripture. We share a common openness to the guidance of the Spirit. And guess what? we end up with little different shades of where we land with our priorities. When Ann and I lived in L.A. and our family, uh, we lived about seven miles away in the San Fernando Valley from where uh, Ilse and Carlos uh, lived. And I got to visit them a few months ago in their apartment there. Uh, two of the years that we were in L.A., we decided to uh, worship in a predominantly African-American church in South L.A., and during that time, one of my colleagues, Art Gray, was also a mentor and tour guide. And every six weeks or so, we would go to South Central LA and we would tour around and he would show me the sights and give me the memories of his childhood and his adolescent years. And that experience for me was transformational. It was, it was humbling when I realized, when I heard stories from a very, very different life experience and perspective. It was challenging for me. It was irritating at times, and it has made me bigger and better as a result. I don't know what your thoughts are about the word stretching, but some of you have highly romanticized words of being stretched. Philosophically, it sounds good, doesn't it? In 2020, I'm going to stretch out into new things this year. Doesn't that sound delicious? You only think it's delicious if you haven't been stretching recently. Stretching is arduous, it's difficult, it can be painful, and it can be messy work, and it is exactly what we're being invited to into this year. Now, here's our goal, very simply stated, not on your outline, here it is. We seek unity, but not uniformity. So in these few weeks of the series, This Is Us, we're going to be addressing what is it that unifies us and gives us the North Star that we can move toward together as a community, not being identical, but being one in the Spirit as we strive to become unified in the faith, as Paul prayed for the church at Corinth. So today, 
we're going to start, this is us, by looking at, at, at taking a look at Jerusalem, the site of the first Christian church 2,000 years ago. Now, Jerusalem today is a holy site for Jews, Christians, and Muslims, which may be one of the reasons, centuries before Christianity, that a psalmist was inspired to say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Jerusalem has not experienced much peace in the last 2,000 years. But the church that was founded there is delightfully insightful for us. Many of you remember the story as you go back in that church history. The, the first followers of, of Jesus, uh, after, after Jesus' resurrection and uh, crucifixion and resurrection, he told his closest supporters to go up north into Galilee, which was their home country, comfortable place, and he would meet them there. And while he was there with those 11, he gave them a remarkable mission statement. Let's listen in to it as we read, first of all, about our purpose. And we read that in Matthew chapter 28, starting with verse 18. Here we go. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always, right to the very end of the age. I love this. So Jesus is expressing his mission, and now he is making it a co-mission. What is the basis for his authority to create this co-mission? It's his phrase, all authority is mine. Well, let me paraphrase. I can do any stinking thing I want to do. <laughs> and as it relates to my mission, Jesus said, I've decided that out of the thousands of options that I have, I'm going to specifically choose the strategy of extending my mission through humans. You're it. I can make any decision I want, and I've decided to do it through you. So... As you go, as you're going in life, as you're going, make disciples and teach disciples. And here's my promise. It's a co-mission. I'm going to be with you every step of the way doing his work. So here is our mission. The first part of it here at Evergreen. Help people find and follow Jesus. Would you read that out loud with me with your loud outdoor voices? Here we go. Help people find and follow Jesus. Have you been around Evergreen for a while? That is not the first time that you've heard that, is it? Now, here we go. Last Sunday, 14 of you were baptized in water. I am so proud of you. There's nothing that moves me more than watching people go public with their faith. And I know some of your stories. You, you've gone through some tough times, and some of you are experiencing difficult things right now and challenging. But I watched you because you said, I have found and I am following Jesus. That's what we are all about. Now, rush back into church history. Remember with me again that those 11 came down back 
from the north to the south to Jerusalem again, and they were joined with other Christ followers for Jesus' very last words just before he ascended, and they heard him say these words. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So if I was talking to a group of business leaders, I would say, this is how Jesus describes the market strategy for the church. It's a three-phase market penetration. First of all, we're going to start right here in Jerusalem. Look around. This is it. Here's the city. That's downtown. And then you're going to go to Judea and Samaria. Now, that's near geographically, but it's distant in terms of its racial, its cultural, and its religious history and experience. Uh, Judea and Samaria was roughly the size of the Willamette Valley from Portland down to Albany. So it's near, but it's diverse. And then Jesus said, I want you to go far. I want you to go to the ends of the earth where it's almost all different and diverse. And so here at Evergreen, we say it's, would you say it with me? Here, near, and far. You did that even ahead of the slide. You are good. I know that. Yeah. So if we put it all together in terms of our purpose, we have this phrase, to help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. Indulge me once more. Out loud together with me. Help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. Now, why is that important for us? Because there are a thousand good things that we are invited to do every year. Slight exaggeration, I would have said every week, but let's be generous and conservative and say every year. There is so much need that needs to be addressed. There are so many wonderful organizations and opportunities to partner with and to assist. There are so many great ideas that could be initiated with new adventures, So how do we make a decision to sort through our priorities at Evergreen? The first cut in vetting an opportunity is to say, how does it help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far? Secondly, it's helpful for you because while you bring your own taste and flavor and smells to Evergreen as a distinct person, please don't bring too many smells, but we're all distinct Each of us is our own. If you were like somebody else, we wouldn't need either them or you. We need all of us with our uniqueness. As we come together, your question is, if I'm a part of the Evergreen community, how is it this year that I'm going to engage in our shared vision of helping people find and follow Jesus? And how am I going to engage here near and far. Because we're an activist church, we always leave with homework. You've noticed that, right? Today you get three pieces. Here's number one. So the question for you in 2020 is, how will you help people find and follow Jesus? You know, regarding here, uh, Evergreen, you do this so well. Uh, You serve on E-teams, kids, students, hospitality, landscaping, laundry, setup, teardown. It goes on and on. You make the 300-plus volunteer roles that we have here at Evergreen, you make this place vibrant and work. 
You connect so well with neighbors, and that's our near. Classmates, work colleagues, you serve out in the food bank, you serve in soccer camps or volunteer in schools or work in community art groups or nonprofits like ARMS or coach sports teams. Anna and I, as she mentioned, moved into our new house eight days ago, and we've already met a bunch of our new neighbors, and we are so excited. We live in a very colorful neighborhood, and we just can't wait to get to know and establish relationships with some of these fresh neighbors that we have. So there's the here, the near, and then there's the far. So Evergreeners join GO teams to Guatemala and Mexico and Uganda, sponsor children, Some of us pray for and fund those who go if we're not able to in a given year. And I want to tell you, these trips, you've experienced them. They are transformational. Uh, I was a little snooty and uppity uh, until about a year ago about this. Anna and I have traveled and in most cases served in 34 countries. And so uh, we've been around the world a little bit. And uh, finally, Ben Farley uh, leaned on me enough to get me to go uh, to Mexico to do a build. And I have to be honest with you, it was kind of like, you know, driving across the border 20 miles to Ensenada for three days to do a build is, you know, not going to stretch me all that much. That was what I thought. I'm going to tell you, it was one of the most transformational three days of my life. It was just amazing for me to experience that opportunity with the team that was there. And I challenge and encourage you, make a GO team one of your goals for this year. So, first of all, Evergreen's purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. Let's jump to the, pes- the second part of This Is Us and talk about our pathway. So how do we do this thing? Well, I love the story of how the first church emerged. In fact, I love it and I'm challenged by it. Uh, religious pilgrims came to celebrate the Feast of Harvest or the Feast of Weeks. We know it best by the title Pentecost. And they had traveled from as far as 2,200 miles. That's as far as from here to Chicago or it's about the distance of the Appalachian Trail from north to south, and it's a long way. And most of these folks walked, and they averaged about 20 miles a day. So it took them 110 days to get from Rome to Jerusalem, and then 120 days to get back. So they were walking for seven and a half months, plus they, of course, would spend some time there in Jerusalem to celebrate the religious festival. And so they got to take an eight-month sabbatical, to do a religious pilgrimage. How many of you would like to take an eight-month sabbatical? Yeah, me too. I'm with you on that thing. Yeah, here we go. By the way, if you would like to see Israel for 11 days, Ann and I are hosting a trip uh, next year in March, and uh, there's going to be an informational meeting about it a week from tomorrow, so it'll be Monday. It'll be at 7 o'clock, and uh, an opportunity for you to come and to hear about it. 18 months away is a long time, except you have to decide to go and pay a deposit three months from now. That was a shameless plug, and I thought it slipped pretty well into this talk today. So <laughs> right there, here we go, yeah. So the deal about these religious pilgrims was that they all shared a basic Jewish faith. But boy, were they ever diverse in how they practiced and experienced that which expressed the diversity of their context. This isn't in your outline, but in Acts chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it tells us where those first Christians came from. They were Parthenians, Medes, and Amalites. That's present-day Iran. They were from Mesopotamia, modern-day Iraq, Kuwait, and western Syria. They were from Judea, present-day Israel and Palestine. 
They were from Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia's Fergie, and Pamphylia. You visited all of those cities, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, that's in modern-day Turkey. And they went to Egypt. You've heard of that. That's modern, current-day Egypt as well. They were from Cyrene, which is located in Libya. They were from Rome, then the capital of the Roman Empire, today the capital city of Italy. They were Cretans from the island of Crete in the Mediterranean. They were Arabs coming from present-day Saudi Arabia and probably countries around there in the region. Wow. And they had all collected around a common faith and a common religious pilgrimage. And as they celebrated the Feast of Harvest, they heard about the resurrected Jesus who was being proclaimed as Messiah. And that day, 3,000 of them found Jesus and stayed in town to figure out how to follow him. Because the only experts were the apostles who had lived with him for part of three years and others there who were local Jews in Israel who had seen him and heard the stories. They found a Messiah. They stayed in town to learn how to follow him. None of those first Christians thought that they were anything other than Jews. They weren't planning to start a new movement. They just thought they were taking their best, next best step of faith in responding to promised Messiah. So that's how they got stuck in Jerusalem. But it was not sweet and idyllic. Instead of going home, they, they decided to, you know, move their status from pilgrim to emigrant. And none of them had decided to move to stay. So now the handful of people, probably the minority in terms of numbers of the 3,000 saved on the first day, were actually the locals. And these people had lost their social and religious infrastructure of how you care for people in physical need. And so they needed a place to live. They needed food to eat. They needed things to do. Now, I'm about to read what the early church did, and I want to, I want, I want to read it, and then I want to talk about two different points of view that there might have been about it. Notice that this is what they did uh, after that first uh, uh, founding of 3,000 people. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. And here, here it is. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Wow. Now, wouldn't that be fun? Any of you want to sign up for that? Yeah. Fun for whom? The religious pilgrims who didn't have a job, didn't have a home to care for, didn't have kids to get into school. <laughs> Guess who's taking care of them? All the locals. Let me know how things went at the temple today while I was working earning money for you to come back home to stay in my crowded house and eat my food. The locals get together and say, we're running out of cash here. What are we going to do? Somebody says, well, we have an extra lot. We were going we to build a home there, but I guess we could sell it and we can bring it and we can bring it to the apostles because they kind of are doing the distribution thing and they kind of know where the need gets. And, and trust me, trust me, this was not some decision that we're going to try a 
communist or even a communal experience. This was keeping people alive. That's what they did. And by the way, by the way, these people were really different from the locals who were there. But we learned some things about that very early church, and here it is. This is the evergreen pathway. You've heard us talk about it before. I'm not going to unpack it today. There's other messages on record about it. But the evergreen pathway is here. Uh, Would you say it out loud with me? God, gather, group, and give time, talent, and treasure. If you want to take those four words, just put them back into the passage. You'll see where we get those. That's what the church spontaneously looked like. So here's homework assignment for the week number two. Ready for this? No, you're not ready. Okay, you're going to get it anyway. Here we go. What are your pathway practices for 2020? How about your daily date with God, that five or 35 minutes that you focus on, as Joe said last week, your PB&J, prayer Bible and journal. How about your gathering weekly? You know, I encourage you to do what Ann and I did. We went to our calendar for 2020, and we just filled it in with 45-plus Sundays to be at Evergreen. And you can do the same thing. And then this is very cool. Over the course of the year, when other people who are less well-planned than you or organizations that don't plan as well in advance come and give you opportunities to do on certain Sundays. You just say, oh, I'm sorry, you didn't get to me early enough. I'm already committed that day. Won't that work well for you? (laughs) It really is a priority statement, isn't it? Sure. And how about group regularly? I encourage you to try out one of our 20-plus groups. Listen, many of those are starting fresh this month or they're restarting. It's a great time to engage in a new group. And, you know, if you you go to a group and, and, and it doesn't click for you, just thank them very much, smile, and say, see you later. It'll be a lot later. And just go try another group. There's a perfect one for you. Uh, You know, you probably dated more than one person before you married, so, you know, date a couple of groups. There we go. Group leaders are hating me right now, but, you know, I can take it. I can take it, yeah. And then give generously. Make, Make 2020 a year of tithing. Some of you, you've been talking about it. You've been thinking about it. You've been scared about it. This is your year to move into it. Just take the 10%, make it automatically transferred to Evergreen. Make 2020 your year of generosity with your time and talent and treasure. So... The first two of three, first we learned that our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. And second, our pathway is God gather, group, give. I had a friend ask one time, Jared, do you, he was sincere, do you actually think people that attend Evergreen are going to do those four G's? And I said to him, I hope so, but this is what I can tell you with certainty. People that do the four Gs have a much greater likelihood of growing rapidly in their relationship with Jesus than people who don't do them. It is the evergreen way. Well, I promised there were three. Here we go. I'm a boomer, three-point sermon. I'm stuck on it. You're dragged through it with me. Here we go. Let's talk about one of Evergreen's values. Now, there are several. There's about eight. Some of you have seen them. They're published. We talk about them periodically. Just want to look at one of those today that comes right out of the Jerusalem church. This happened probably about a year later now. The church was at least 5,000 It was probably significantly more. It's rapidly growing. In Acts chapter 6 is the record of the first major cross-cultural conflict in the church among Christians. And 
And because it was resolved well, the, the summary statement at the end of the paragraph about the conflict is that many more people came to faith in Jesus. And in fact, many priests for the first time became obedient to the faith. In other words, because they handled this conflict well, it allowed the church to grow both in scope and in scale. The conflict was around how people were receiving benevolence. Now, in one of my seminary professors, Peter Wagner, made the case that the, the primary nature of this problem was not spiritual or religious. It was, in fact, cultural and political. There's a conflict between two groups of widows. There's the Hellenist widows who would have been a part of these pilgrims who had come from the Jewish diaspora. They would be representing Jews who primarily spoke Greek and in their, even their Jewish religious practice would have been significantly influenced by Greek culture and Greek philosophy. On the other hand, there's the Hebraic widows who probably would have been locals around Jerusalem, and they would have been very in touch with not only synagogues, but with the temple. They would have been familiar with all the kinds of literally thousands of rabbinical laws and ceremony and how you do things right. And secondly, they were the ones who actually saw and experienced and heard Jesus. Third, they were the locals, and so they had the power base, and fourth, they had the resources. So you can see in this kind of an environment, that with this diversity that's there, that it would be easy for, either intentionally or inadvertently, for there to be a lack of equity in how needy people were being cared for. In fact, there's several contrasts between these two groups of early Christians. They include their religious backgrounds, their language, their culture, their degree of cohesiveness, their access to decision-making processes, and consequently, there was unequal treatment. No one intended it. Cross-culturally, it just happened. That is often the case. With no public welfare safety net, the apostles and other Local leaders had to pitch in to care for these pilgrims who had now become immigrants. And as the food was being distributed, for some reason, the Palestinian widows were being better cared for than the foreigners. And so the apostles called for a community meeting and said, women and men, we want you to pick seven wise and spirit-led guys to run our massive food bank. And this is where we pick up the text in Acts 6 verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Porcius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Oh, so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Growth in scope and scale. Now notice that these seven who were picked had Greek names. They were Hellenists. They were all representatives of the pilgrims. They were representatives of the group that felt they had been slighted. So the brilliance is the apostles expanded the leadership team to include the minority population in the emerging church. And the result was that the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly. We would simply say the church grew like crazy. 
So we believe. We believe that growth happens in part by empowering diverse leaders and volunteers. Just a heads up, in about five weeks, when we start the, next, the second series of the year, that series is called The Dangerous Act of Loving Your Neighbor. So that was going to be a lot of fun for us as we learn about some of those potential challenges. But here it is in summary. We value intentional diversity. Now, I know that stretching yourself is not easy. It's sometimes messy. I know that because I have written the book on awkward fails in cross-cultural blunders. For example, one of many, I'll leave you with one today. I was invited by Jesus de Paz to come to Wenatchee and speak at his church and speak to leaders that were there being trained and to have dinner uh, in the home of his family. And uh, Jesus and I actually share the same birth date to the day and the year. So, so we are twins in some respect. And uh, Jesus was so gracious and he, a remarkable leader. Uh, he has identified and trained and sent out over 100 church planters in Central and Eastern Washington and in Central America. So I'm with Jesus, and the night before, uh, or a couple days before, we're talking on the phone. And he says, hey, you're going to come over for dinner. He said, what kind of food do you like? And I did my best cross-cultural generosity, and I said, I love Mexican food. And he smiled at me, and he said, I'll buy my wife a cookbook then. And I said, why would you do that? And he said, because we're Salvadoran. Yeah. Now, he was just sticking it to me, right? Yeah, yeah. I want you to know that you will not find yourself inadvertently making a blunder that I have not made, okay? Now, please don't make efforts to be cross-culturally stupid. But let me just tell you that our best efforts are just-in-time learning and just-in-time training and plenty of mistakes along the way when it comes to anything that we're moving into in life. And one of the reasons that we carefully stay within our, our contained boxes, our boxes of relationship and our boxes of how we do life and serve, is because we are afraid of making mistakes if we get outside the box. Life is smooth and comfortable. And I want to extrapolate the reverse of the experience of the church, and let me say it this way and personalize it. If you choose to stay comfortable, you will not grow like crazy. It is when you address the challenges that come your life, the ugly, gnarly ones, the stretching in, the pressing in, which leads us into your third homework assignment, and here it is for this week. How will you expand in 2020? Your relationships. Who is the other that you are including in your life? And what are your responsibilities this year and how will you choose to serve in some fresh and maybe scary ways? You know, my own sense is that our society may be at a low point in in how we talk about challenging and controversial topics. I encourage you, let's unite around the essentials that bring us together as we define our community. This is us. Imagine 2020 as a year when faith grows and love surges and and hope recharges. Let's focus on what unites us, not divides us. 
And let's be more thoughtful and gracious about the differences that are there in seeing some of the beauty and flavor that God gives us with through that. Imagine 2020 as a year in which you help people find and follow Jesus here, near, and far. A year in which you God gather, group, give. And a year in which you intentionally diversify, stretching into new relationships and opportunities. Our prayer is this, Lord. Would you help us be that personally as we are this corporately? In Jesus' name, amen.